0: This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you.
1: ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend.
2: Hi, I'm Dorie Shufriar, and along with Kate Spencer, I host Forever 35, a podcast about the things we do to take care of ourselves. Join us every Wednesday with guests like author Phoebe Robinson, chef Samin Nosrat, actress Busy Phillips, and even former Secretary of State Madeleine Albright. On Mondays and Fridays, we have mini-episodes where we answer listeners' questions on everyday problems like how useful a butt mask really is, how to deal with a petty friend, or how to relax after a long day. So join us Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on Forever 35, where we're not experts, but we are two friends who like to talk a lot about serums.
0: Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.
1: And welcome back. Here we go with our bonus Q and A episode of Books of the Year. Matt Nice still here, and in South Carolina, still having breakfast. Actually, I say still having breakfast. I don't he hasn't eaten no, anything. He no. hasn't no drunk food. anything. No. I feel as though we're keeping <laughs> keeping you from your breakfast. Indeed. Do you write on an empty stomach, Jason? That's not one of the questions. But can, could you get straight in and write, <laughs> or do you need to be fueled?
3: No, no. I, yeah. I actually write on an empty stomach. I wake up every morning at about five or five thirty. I go straight to the computer and I start writing because I've learned that people are, you know, the world is still sleeping when mm-hmm. you're up early in the morning. Like you're, you don't have those interruptions of people texting you and people calling and knocking on your door. So I'm usually guaranteed a good four or five hours before people really wake up and start kind of communicating. So yeah, I get up first thing, don't eat breakfast, just go straight to the computer. Okay,
1: we've interrupted your writing. So um, let's, <laughs> on this Q&A, so Jason's book is called Hell of a Book. You can hear Jason speak about that on our previous podcast. Question number one for our Q&A, what is the last book, Jason,
3: that you really, really enjoyed reading? Hmm, tough question, tough question. So I think the... The last book that I really, really enjoyed reading was Black Buck by Matteo oh, Askeripor. Yeah. Yeah, I read it about, it's about a year ago, a year and a half ago now. And it it is one of those books that really captured me and so few books do. Uh, I'm a really harsh critic when it comes to reading. Like I, I can quit a book five pages in and not look back. <laughs> I have no no problem doing that whatsoever. But Black Buck was one of those that it captured me because of what discussion was being had and the way, through, way in which it was being had. I'm a real big fan of inventive storytelling and storytelling that just does things differently. And that book was one of those where the character was really fascinating. I love a good salesman. I love a story about a good salesman. That kind of goes back to my film noir love and fast talking, slick talking characters are just characters I really obsess over. So. Black Buck by Matteo Ascarispor. Okay, he's
0: a he. Yeah, he came on the podcast to talk about that book, and uh, awesome. is, yes, excellent book. Although it did make me think. Thank God I don't work in sales because I couldn't. <laughs> I could not do that job. Right. Do you have a favorite author that you've met, Jason? On on many of your many book tours, I'm sure you come across other authors. Uh,
3: actually, I will say no. I don't have a favorite author that I've met. My all of my favorite authors are dead, as it tends to be the, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> the way it goes. Um, there, There's tons of good authors that are, you know, really great authors. I won't say good. I'll say really great authors that are out here that are still functioning. One author that I almost, I saw across the room, and I didn't have the courage to run over and introduce myself, was Neil Gaiman. Um, oh, wow. I was actually at the National Book Awards this year in uh, December up in New York, and he was there giving a huge, beautiful presentation for Art Spiegelman, as Art Spiegelman won his award. Um, and I saw, you know, I saw Neil Gaiman across the room and like the event wrapped and everyone's mingling. And I just did not have the courage to run over and introduce myself because I'm such a huge fan of his. So, yeah, I still fanboy out at people. <laughs> Actually,
1: in parenthesis, at this point, I have a very unfair Neil Gaiman question, which I'm going to put to Jason. Oh, yeah. Oh, I interviewed Neil Gaiman and my son, my younger son, is a huge fan of Neil Gaiman. And they mm-hmm. had a conversation afterwards. And at the end of that conversation, Neil Gaiman said to my son, who was like 16 at the time, stay in touch. And Ooh. then he left. And ever since, my son's saying, do you think he meant that? And also, how?
2: How, how? how do you stay in touch with Neil Gaiman?
1: So as an author, Jason, do you think Neil Gaiman... You're, it's an impossible question, but hey, this, that's, that's why you're on the podcast. Do you think Neil Gaiman meant my
3: son to stay in touch or was it just showbiz? What do you think? Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna say he meant it. From again, I don't I don't know Neil Gaiman at all. Never met the guy, but from everything that I've seen and heard, people that I've met, people who I've met who have met him, so secondhand Neil Gaiman interactions, he seems to be a very genuine guy. Like uh, there are so many stories of people who met him once and he said something to the effect of stay in touch, and they do. They tweet at him or they They've run into him before, and he remembers them, and he has conversations with them. So I'm going to say he meant it. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. (laughs) That's good. You're welcome. You're welcome. Turning into an agony, (laughs) Colin.
1: Next question to Jason Moore. When
3: was the last time you used a public library? It was... Probably about six months ago, actually. Um, there's a local library here that I kind of go through every once in a while to find books. I'm a big fan of old, hard to find books. And so libraries are a good place to go get those. So yeah, about six months ago, I think. Is
1: the position of public libraries, uh, I, I mean, in the UK, it's, it's tough, you know, and I've always mm-hmm. thought librarians could rule the world, particularly school librarians. Mm-hmm. They should basically be in charge of everything, but it's, they're in a A lot of people are questioning whether
3: libraries have a future, but let's hope that they have. What's the situation in the States? I've heard mixed things like libraries are definitely struggling for funding. They always kind of are. And yet I've done a lot of touring where I've been to libraries that are doing very well. And I've been to a lot of library success stories. How much of that is the norm and how much of it is the exception is very difficult for me to say. But i've heard that libraries are kind of stabilizing. and they're not doing great like i won't say that they're excelling and they're blossoming here and there but i've heard that they're kind of stable in where they are right now which is wonderful news because like as you said like libraries are essential like librarians could rule the world and we need so many more of them i wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the librarian who used to give me a stack of books when i was five years old i would go to this local library and sit My mom would drop me off for hours and my sister and I would sit and read books. And every day I walked in, the librarian would have a stack of books waiting for me, for me to sit and read. And that is why I became a writer, because of people like that. So I'm a huge fan of libraries.
0: So uh, when that librarian was stacking up those books, what kind of books was that librarian giving to you? Were they curated for you? In other words, they thought, oh, Jason's really going to like this. Or were they just, these are great books, you need to read these books?
3: It was predominantly, it was a little bit of both, but it was predominantly, these are the books that Jason will like. I was a huge fan as a kid of mythology and folklore, Greek mythology, Roman mythology, Japanese, African, you name it. If it had gods and dragons and Mm. anything mythological, I just adored it. And so I would walk in the door and there would be some new book of mythology and folklore and all those kinds of things. And sprinkled in amongst those would also be just canonical literary texts. Like Lord of the Flies, which is still one of my all-time favorite books that I cite and go back to, that was one of those books that was tucked in amongst the mythology and folklore and that I eventually read and fell in love with. So in the
0: uh, previous podcast, Jason, we talked about how it's an excuse to ask the question, do you have a favorite place to write? Because we're just giving people the excuse not to write. So let me put a (laughs) twist on that and say, is there a favorite place you have to read? Is there somewhere that you can really settle in Open up a book and go. Yeah, I'm, this don't disturb me for the next hour because I'm where I want to be.
3: Yes, but it's just the couch. Like as the as traditional and simple as it is, when I've got a book, like when I've I've got some new book that I want to sit and really settle into, I turn the television off, I crack open the blinds, let the sunlight come through, put me a pillow here and a drink on the ground floor next to the couch, and I just stretch out and open the book, and it's the most peaceful, awesome place on the planet. Just stretch out on my couch in a quiet house, able to read my book.
1: OK, next we have a question uh, in the form of a voice note because we've become very high-tech. This is from fellow author and admirer of your book, Imran Mahmood.
4: Hello, Jason, Simon, Matt. Imran Mahmood here. I want to ask Jason about a hell of a book. Your novel clashes comedy with tragedy, sorrow with joy, the real with the surreal and the serious with the comedic. And yet the, the effect is often... Uh, Wonderful, uh, often absurdist. I mean, we have, of course, the imaginary uh, friend, the child, Soot. Uh, We have the unnamed narrator who is sometimes caught in predicaments like being naked and left with an old woman he has to make serious conversation with. And then there's this big, heavy theme that runs through it, and I won't say what it is for spoilers, and the craziness of all that. Um, In hell of a book, are you telling us really, that um, the experience of being black in white America is itself the absurdity, that that is the unreal thing, or is the surrealness just here for our pure entertainment?
1: Okay, we asked him for a brief question, but clearly he he,
3: he built that up. Anyway, some some interesting points from Imran. Terrific, terrific. Um, I just want to first say how, much, how awesome this is. Imran's a great guy. I've met him a lot. and he's, We've talked a lot with Twitter. He's a great guy. So as for the question, yes, the, the surrealism is very intentional. The absurdism is very intentional. I myself am a philosophical absurdist. Um, and for those who don't know, like essentially it just means that you recognize that there's no meaning to the universe and yet you, you still kind of find your laughs. You, kind of, you have to laugh at the absurdity of the universe sometimes. And that is oftentimes how I do think about race and um, that the African-American experience in America. If you do not find the absurdity in it, if you do not find some means of laughing about it, it will destroy you. At least that has been my personal kind of experience in the way that I've seen it. When you look at African-American history, not just in America, but on a global scale, it is not a bright, shiny, beautiful one. Like, Yes, it has beautiful richness. It has cultural moments. But there is such a there's such a hint of, not a hint, but just overlying idea that, you know, resiliency becomes synonymous with like being black. And I find that to be very offensive and very frustrating because resiliency always puts the burden on the person who is receiving the pain and the, the sorrow and the suffering, but never has anything to say about the person administering it. And there's also this, I call it resiliency porn that people get where they love a story of, they love a good story about resiliency and about people bouncing back and yet they never wanna indict the person who is doing the harm. And with all of that, with all the, the shootings and the legislation and all the things that are done to kind of oppress and just make life hell for people of color, quite frankly, and for other minorities as well, as a minority, if you cannot find a way to laugh about some of that, it doesn't say you don't have to laugh all the time like a fool, but if you cannot find moments to just laugh about how absurd it all is. I don't see how you can make it. And I personally cannot do it. So I have to laugh about it. I am—I have to find the absurdity, I have to find the humor because if I do not, the only thing left is tears if I don't find the humor. And so that's why that's there
0: you mentioned before jason that as a boy growing up and being in the library you'd read a lot of um fantasy uh books i wonder whether this is going to be this question is going to touch on that as well is there a novel that you would love to step inside of a creation that you thought yeah i'd, I'd even even if it were just for a day that you would love to be love to be in there hmm, now that you guys have great questions yeah <laughs>
3: You're not the, it's not the stock questions that I can just <laughs> rattle off and answer I've thought yeah, about a thousand see, times. Yeah. Page 67. <laughs> yeah, so is we're... it going to be made into a movie, Jason? Is it a movie? How old are you? How much money do you earn? <laughs> I don't appreciate this. <laughs> um, That's a great question, actually. I used to, I, play, I played d and D a a lot growing up mm-hmm. um, Dungeons and Dragons and there's a series called Dragonlance and there's these authors Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman who wrote these stories that were set in this you know fantasy world of Dragonlance and that was always kind of my escape place that was always the place that I just kind of imagined being able to kind of disappear to because yeah it was all those things it was gods and dragons and swords and all those kinds of things that I just loved and I would love to kind of disappear into that world because it was so so simple and the morality was easy to find and there was no you know the racism all the all the things that in the real world were just so heavy and oppressive they weren't there it was a place where things were just simpler and still good it's good very good writing very good storytelling but just simpler and i enjoyed that
1: Uh, final question jason if you hadn't become an author what profession do you think
3: you might have gone into I probably would have gone into computer science somehow. I know that's a pretty far into the spectrum from creative writing, but I was always a big computer nerd. I'm a big fan of technology. Um, two of my best friends are software engineers, and I am always fascinated there. And there's a lot of parallels between storytelling and computer programming. Weirdly enough, like the methods and means through which you build a software, you build software is strangely akin to how you write a novel. Um, There's procedures and things you have to do to make it work. And novel writing is very akin to that. So I think I'd be a computer nerd. Jason, it's
1: been great spending time with you. Thank you very much. Uh, Hell of a Book is published by Trapeze. It's out now in hardback, coming out in paperback in a couple of weeks time. Uh, Jason, we appreciate your time with us, sir. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you very much. This was terrific. And get your publisher to finance a book trip around the UK. Yes. Next, yeah. So yes, you can, we yes. can share a studio with you for your yes. next book, which is going to be called <laughs> You Thought That Was Good. <laughs> and remember, if you want to get in touch, you can email us at anytime, Year at yahoo.com. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter. We are at PickAnyPage. That's at PickAnyPage on Instagram and at Books of the Year on Twitter. Thank you for listening. I hope you can join us next week. Our guest is going to be comedian, writer, and podcaster, Ad Lloyd. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend.
2: Hi, I'm Dori Shafrir, and along with Kate Spencer, I host Forever 35, a podcast about the things we do to take care of ourselves. Join us every Wednesday with guests like author Phoebe Robinson, chef Samin Nosrat, actress Busy Phillips, and even former Secretary of State Madeleine Albright. On Mondays and Fridays, we have mini-episodes where we answer listeners' questions on everyday problems like how useful a butt mask really is, how to deal with a petty friend, or how to relax after a long day. So join us Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on Forever 35, where we're not experts, but we are two friends who like to talk a lot about serums.
0: Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.